Welcome to a new episode of the Dear Ruby podcast, where we answer the personal finance questions of Canadians across the country. Anything to do with your money, we want to be able to bring those answers to you. Now, during COVID-19, a lot of people's financial situations have changed. Some people have lost their jobs. Some people have been unable to work because they're sick with COVID-19. Some people have had their hours cut. And other people are working from home, but obviously in a very different situation. And so that really does mean that a lot of questions have been coming up about how to manage money during a pandemic, how to prepare for the future, because we don't know how long this is going to last. We have been focused on COVID-19 and the effects it's having on our money since this uh, since this pandemic began in, in mid-March and all the different government programs that have come out to to help Canadians get through this time, whether it be income support, wage subsidies or extra child benefit, all of those things affect our bottom line and we should know what they are and how we can get it. Um, now there are some cracks starting to form or some of the things that some of the programs that were announced earlier. Now we're starting to see how some of them are not working in the way that maybe the people who took advantage of those programs um, uh, thought they would work. One of them is the mortgage deferral program that banks announced where if you were unable to pay your mortgage for a certain amount of uh, for because you've lost your job due to COVID-19, you're able to have your mortgage deferred for up to six months. So we're going to talk about that. And also CERB, which we talked about last week, has been extended another eight weeks. So there was 16 weeks that was initially announced that you could apply for in four week chunks. Now they've and the government, federal government has said that for those people who are still out of work, there is eight extra weeks available to them. But there's a bit of a caveat. I'm, you know, uh, how you still have to be if you want to take that extra eight weeks, you have to be looking for work. And of course, for those people who are using the CERB right from the beginning, they're going to see it run out in September, right as kids are supposed to go back to school. So we're going to talk about that as well. I wanted to bring in my co-host, Bo Humphreys. We've been talking about uh, COVID-19, the effects it's having on our pocketbook, answering Canadians' questions. Bo, you know, you work uh, in insolvency. You help people through those uh, through those situations. How has this week been? And are you seeing, uh, are you hearing and seeing different stories emerging? Um, because we're now four months almost into this pandemic. Yeah, yeah. You know, what I'm seeing is, um, especially this week, I spoke to um, a couple of people who are uh, in the live events business. And that's a business that I used to work in. Uh, so and so, I know a lot of people, you know, at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, Live Nation, and uh, you know, this specific person uh, was a stagehand. And when your whole job is, uh, you know, loading in, loading out live tours, assembling uh, stage components, things like that, your uh, your job is done. And there's, uh, it's not, you know, he could probably pivot to something, but it would take him a while to get there. Um, it's not like uh, everybody who has carpentry skills for for building stages is able to now become a carpenter, you know, on a construction site or something. It's not it's not that easy for everyone to to pivot like that. So, um, yeah, I talked to a couple of people like that this week, and that really kind of brought to light, you know, how how much uh, some industries are just not going to come back uh, the same way or uh, for a while. Uh, until I, every restriction is lifted, you're not going to see a big, big concert ever again. Yeah. And, you know, this word pivot has been used a lot during the pandemic. And, uh, you know, career experts, career counselors, business 
on coaches. Um, I, I, you know, I follow a lot of these types of people on Instagram who help businesses and, and workers through their career. And in normal times, their, their advice is awesome that, you know, if you've lost your job and you're in a normal working environment, uh, they might say, okay, pivot in your job and see if you could do something else. Cause there's other jobs out there that you can do. But the problem is, is that if you, you know, for example, if you're a stagehand, Pivoting usually means in your own industry. The, the whole entire live music industry has been shut down. And that's the case for other industries as well. I mean, theater, for example, is another example where it's completely been shut down. So if you work in the theater business, it's very difficult for you to pivot and find another job. And it is really unfair for anyone to say to that person, why don't you get a job at a grocery store? Why don't you get a job at a construction site? Because you don't have the skills for it. It may not be what makes you, you know, may, fulfills you. And, uh, and of course, in many cases, it probably won't pay you the same that it did in the work that you were doing. So there's a lot of these factors that um, people have to consider. So sometimes the only option really is to take CERB, which is the income replacement, even though, yes, there are maybe some jobs out there. Everyone can always go out and do something. But I know personally, if I couldn't work as a journalist, it'd be very hard for someone to convince me to work as a, you know, as a as a bookkeeper or something that I'm not really used to doing, I would be, I would, I would feel kind of lost. Even if the job was available, I would say, well, I I don't really know if I'm going to be good at that. I don't want to know. I don't want to make a mistake. And it's really difficult for me to say yes to a job that I'm not really qualified to do. And it won't make me happy. Um, CERB, as we talked about last week has been extended and um, another eight weeks. Mm. But the problem though, is that it started March 15th. And so if you lost your job March right uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic and you took the 16 weeks and then you're going to take the other eight weeks, it's running out in September. And now the talk is, is that in September, school is not going back full time. There's a lot of talk of school being two days a week. So, you know, one week you send your kids for two days, the next week, three days. So you basically you have a swap of so that there's no more than 15 kids in the class at one time. Um, that is going to be a huge issue. And I, I'm wondering how that's going to affect your business because a lot of people who are uh, depending on school so that they can go back to work may not have that option in September. Yeah, and I should, we should mention that we're having a bit of a, a, a connection issue today for some reason. Um, I only heard half of what Rubina just said. But I, I, think I, I, think, I think I know what you're saying, um, that uh, how, are, how are people going to go back to work um, if they have their kids uh, two days a week and uh, that because we we haven't rebuilt society this way. So I, I think a lot of uh, employers are going to have to um, just make a lot of exceptions. I think that's what the article is saying, too. Right. OK, so Bo and I have been mentioning that we're having a little bit of uh, problems connecting today. I think a lot of people are overloading the network and it's sometimes hard to get a good connection. We're coming up with some ways that we can bring Dear Ruby to you in quality, but we're going to pick up the conversation. We're not 100 percent sure where we left off, but we were talking about <laughs> CERB, I think. Right, Bo? Yeah. And you yeah. were talking about how difficult it's going to be for um, for parents, you know, when, when, when September hits and not everyone is going to have the option of putting their kids in daycare. Like if you've got young kids, say, you know, 10, 11 years old, you've been expecting the schools to be open again so that you can get back to normal, maybe in your working life. I'm, I'm also suspecting at that time is when things are really going to come to a head because the deferral programs will be coming to an end and, you know, the schools may not be going back to, 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 um, full time. And then on top of it, if you've been taking CERB with the extension, if you've been taking it continuously, it's going to be running out and you may be 
dependent on EI, which could be a lot less than $500 a week. Well, ho and hopefully for a uh, few people, uh, it's going to be a bit more. Uh, but then they would have had to do without uh, during the serve time. So it all kind of evens out, doesn't it? Uh, but for for uh, for me, for example, so we just got approval uh, for daycare, uh, July sixth. So uh, Henry's going to go back in, and Kayla's going back to uh, clinical uh, uh, medical school. So uh, she'll be in the hospital again. Um, it's all kind of uh, you know we don't know how it's going to go, but um, at least we're just going to try to make it work. And then if there's an outbreak or something at the daycare, then we'll have to deal with it. What um what reassurances have the daycare given? Like what exa what are they doing differently um, to make sure the kids and 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 the workers are safe? Oh, there's a there's a huge list. There's a <laughs> huge list of things. Well, first of all, I can't even go inside, um, so that's one of the things. I I drop off uh, I drop Henry off with a runner, of some kind, um, and they can't. They're gonna getting rid of all toys that could uh, not be easily washed. Um, they are mostly isolated. Um, you know, uh, the, 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 the major thing is uh, you stay with the same cohort all the time. The same two teachers, the same, uh, sorry, the same two, uh, um, uh, yeah, I guess I'll call them teachers, uh, daycare workers, uh, and uh, the same group of kids. So that if somebody does get COVID, then they know exactly who is, uh, and then they can keep the other cohorts going, right? So that's an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, it's just so many changes that they're going to have to make to to make parents feel safe. I can only imagine like a parent dropping their child off and like one little thing that they think is not safe and then all day worrying about, have I dropped my child off somewhere where they're going to be exposed to COVID-19? You know, maybe the, the, yeah. the, the daycare worker wasn't wearing the mask in the way that they you expected. And that's the other thing I was thinking, like if they're wearing PPE, are the kids going to be off? Like, how are they going to feel about that? Are they going to be wearing yeah, I don't PPE? Think they are. I don't think okay. they are. I think once they're inside, like they just, everyone just agrees uh, to take all the precautions they can. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's just uh, going to be a matter of them taking care. Like they, I, I don't know if they have uh, the, the uh, uh, permission to do the bubble, um, but making sure that their bubble of 10 people is is good and as soon as they hear anything of course then they they can't go into work and then they notify everybody uh you know who knows <laughs> this is just all we're just gonna have to see what happens uh, you know i i feel good that we're not like you know a lot of the the states that are opening that have still have nine thousand cases a day that we're still under like 200 and then like in Hamilton specifically, we had four cases yesterday or something like mm -hmm. that. Very um, low, so, very low. So, yeah, it's, it feels better, right? It feels better. That, but then, of course, this what happened in Kingston with, with the nail salon, 100 people or so are, are potentially exposed and are already like 12 to 18 or something like that have COVID, right? And Kingston was good Yeah, before. so this is... But the thing that's good about that Kingston story is that they've able to narrow it down to exactly where the outbreak was. They can say, you know, we, they can call all the clients. I'm sure they're taking everyone's number who comes through the door. At least I hope they are. They can call all the clients and those mm. clients can say, okay, I was in touch with this person, that person. And I think that's what we are trying to get to is be able to say, okay, this is who you are in contact with since this happened. Um, and if that if that if that if they can if they can isolate those people i mean not all of them are going to get so sick that they'll go to hospital at least they won't infect other people 
Um, but the cases are low. I mean, if you if you look at the difference between us and the United States, I mean, it's night and day, really. Um, but even, you know, if you look at the curve, we really have done a good job in flattening the curve. Um, I know I've become a lot more comfortable with going out to the grocery store. I still wear a mask, but I took my son the other day to, to the grocery store with me because he wanted to buy ice cream and wanted to pick it himself. So I felt comfortable because I talked to him about not touching anything and following the rules. And we were only there for five minutes. We didn't do grocery shopping. We just went to get the ice cream and came back. Okay. But it was it's nice to be able to feel comfortable now doing that. Now, I'd, I wouldn't take my kids on a regular basis. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to test, you know, test my luck. But yeah. at the same time, um, I feel like, you know, we can kind of be a bit like that's something I would normally would do with my son is like, let's go and pick some ice cream out that we can have this afternoon. Right. So it's good for it's their mental health, I think, too. Yeah. A, a little yeah. bit of normalcy there um, is good. But yeah, it's uh, we're just going to have to wait and see uh, what happens because uh, it seems like it can come out of nowhere sometimes. And all it takes is one person being irresponsible. Uh, to affect apparently whoever they come in contact with. But contact tracing and testing are the things that seem to be uh, really important. Contact tracing Mm -hmm. more so, to be able to know exactly who you've been in contact with. Exactly. And that is the countries who have done really well have done contact tracing. They're the ones that have sort of led the charge on that. And from the Mm -hmm. beginning, we're on top of it. but we know we're we're today talking about CERB payments. We kind of went on a on a on a side road there with uh, with the number of cases. But um, if you are still worried about getting COVID nineteen, or if you have an immune compromised person that you live with, CERB is still available to you. Um, just be aware of the rules. You know that you can't make more than a thousand dollars in the four weeks that you're collecting CERB. You do have to apply for it on a four weeks basis, sixteen weeks, and then eight weeks. It does still expire October 3rd. It's not like it's eight weeks extended past October 3rd. So it's really mm. about that period between March 15th and October 3rd. And if you need that, that income, income supplement, the CERB, then you could apply for it. Um, there is that caveat for the last eight weeks that you should be looking for work. But just like it is with EI, they're not going to be scrutinizing you. It's more that you declare that you are available for work. Um, and if a job comes up that's suited for you, that you'd be willing to do it. But it's not like they're going to be coming in and saying, let me see your history. Did you actually apply for a job? They're not going to be doing that. So I don't think people should stress about that. I think just people should be aware that you should, if your work calls you back, you should be able to say, yes, I'll come back to work. Or if it's safe for me to come back. Of course, you, know, you never want to go back to an unsafe uh, situation because um, then you're going to get more people getting COVID-19 and then we're going to get more spikes like the, the nail salon and we're going to be back to where we were in March, where we don't want to go back to, right? That's right. Um, I wanted to move on and talk about um, there was a program announced by the government. Um, it was actually announced last year. This is in Ontario. So they announced that they were going to revamp. This is not so much to do with COVID-19, but I think it's interesting when they've decided to announce this. Uh, they, they're going to revamp the math program because the new uh, uh, cons- conservative government has been very big on like, we need to, you know, fix the broken system as they call it, which it's not broken. It just needs to, you know, we just need to be progressive. We need to change things so that we move forward with the way that we teach young people. Um, and they want to include things like uh, digital technology or understanding digital technology, like digital banking. They want to include personal finance, which I applaud. And they also wanted to include uh, courses on coding. So they had already announced this last year. A lot of the details were already out. 
And uh, it does start in September. But they decided the week that public schools were shutting down, and I know I had to do this, go to my daughter's and son's school and pick up like two very sad looking brown paper bags full of their stuff and look at the empty school and kind of just feel a bit sad about the whole situation. That's the week they decide to announce that, hey, there's this new uh, curriculum coming to Ontario students. I thought the timing was really bad. Did you hear about this uh, announcement? And what did you think of the timing of it? Well, yeah, I've been watching the uh, the daily reports from from the premier and, and, and his ministers. Um, so I saw I saw uh, Stephen Lecce uh, defending this, uh, and it, like it, it's really interesting like to have to defend something like this because it's 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 technically good news, um, but he, and but people are like why now like why would you talk about this now and he's like, well people are gonna go back to school in September in one way or another so that's you got to know about this and I'm like okay that's it it still seems weird um, to just. They say, hey, you know, good news, we're changing all this. Because, uh, like the article says, and, and like you're, you're implying, um, uh, we got other things to worry about right now. <laughs> yeah, and I just think that, you know, it's something that has already been announced. So I don't know why they did it, because these meetings that they have are really to focus on COVID-19. And yeah. yes, of course, they will mention, like, if there's, you know, with Black Lives Matter, with all the anti-black racism protests that are happening, they have mentioned that in their in their briefings. They've they've also mentioned that tragic um, story of uh, of a mom and her three kids being killed um, in a car accident uh, a week and a half ago. So they, of course, do mention news that is happening yeah, because acknowledge current events, or, or you know, if if this exactly like they're not going to have a separate yeah. press conference for that, and that no. makes sense. But this is something that. It was already announced. It's already been flushed out. I covered it on CBC Radio last summer. I looked up when I covered it. I talked okay. to Jill Deacon. Actually, I talked to Reshmi Nair last year on um, on uh, on Here and Now, I believe. And it was in July of 2019. So, yeah, maybe closer to the school year actually starting, they could have, you know, sort of refreshed people. Hey, remember, there's this new math curriculum starting if you want to get your kids kind of prepared for the fact that they're going to be learning more about the dollars and cents of life, um, that'd be great. Uh, but then my other criticism is, is when we finally find out what kids are actually learning about, when you break it down, a lot of that stuff, you know, because we've been doing online learning, they're already learning. My daughter's already learning about some personal finance stuff in her school, learning how to make change, you know, doing math with dollar bills and, and coins. So, um, you know, I, I will like to see what exactly is in the curriculum because this right now is very high level that they're telling us. Um, but I wasn't happy about the, the timing of the announcement, even though I am definitely behind the fact that they're teaching uh, back to basic stuff when it comes to personal finance. I also find it interesting. And, and uh, you know, this it, it's it just probably just a personal thing that personal finance is um, is lumped in in the math category. Uh, you know, uh, the more that you and I work in personal finance and, and uh, learn about it. It, it, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot to do with numbers, but a lot of it is more so uh, about behaviors, and uh, you know, learning how to uh, spend less than you make and not go into debt and things like that. Um, maybe understanding the math behind it, or, or you know, exploring them from a numbers perspective, makes sense. But I wonder how uh, much the math teachers will be able to explore the behavioral side of this uh, at the same time. What do you? Yeah, think the that? psychology of spending is, you know, is. I think more important than the dollars and cents because 
you may know how, you know, how your taxes work. You may know how compound interest works. You may have all that information, but if you are still tempted when you go to the mall to buy more than you need, that's something that you have to work on on your own behavior. So how can I curb that behavior where I'm not buying things I don't need? How how am I making sure that I'm not influenced by email offers that come through uh, for, you know, items that are on sale? That is um, that is something that I think is learned through uh, learning through your family often, like the way that your family spent money. Like if your family was very frugal and was able to um, delay gratification, then you often are the same way. That's not necessarily the truth, but uh, you know we could say generally speaking, you learn from your parents when it comes to the way that they manage money. Um, although you know, like I say, manage money, money management. Part of it is math, like sitting down and actually doing a budget or and then figuring out how much you make and how much you can spend. But a lot of it, like you said, it's it's just about having some self-control, being able to put your wants before, sorry, being able to put your needs before your wants and understanding the difference between those two. So I hope they're they're going to be putting some of those lessons in there too. Yeah. And I, I imagine a lot of us in, in the personal finance uh, uh, community won't be happy until there's like a separate personal finance course anyway <laughs> um so but this was this is a good start right this is a good way to integrate it, and i'm glad they're doing at least this right and then then of course you know people can explore outside of that on their own there's there's tons of information on the internet and and and, and podcasts and blogs and uh you talk about it all the time on tv and radio and and writing so there's a there's a lot of stuff outside of school hopefully we can work on yeah, and I think that um, a lot of personal finance lessons start at home. So it's about the way that you talk about money. I mean, if it, money is always a taboo subject, it might be difficult for those young people when they become adults to talk about money themselves. So have honest conversations about things you can and can't afford. Tell your tell your children how much it costs to run your house. Tell your children your salary. As long as you feel that you know you're comfortable, they're not going to go and pass that information on to other people. Although uh, at the same time, I don't really. I don't know why we're so weird about salary. Like most of us can kind yeah, of guess how much each of us make. Right? Yeah, let's like talk about it, it. even even if in broad terms, right? And I really love that now you can go and find out how much house sold for. There's a lot of sites now that give you uh, that access um, because it kind of takes the mystery out of you know um, when you're when you're when you're making a financial decision. If you know uh, this is how much you know how many people bought a house for this much money. If you have a friend that makes a lot more money than you do, and then they bought a house and you're looking at a house at the same price, it may make you rethink thinking, wow, the person who makes three times as much as me is the one who bought this house. Maybe I'm a little bit out of my comfort zone here. Or on the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it just kind of puts things in perspective. And the other side of it, if you're looking at a home to buy and you know someone who just graduated university and probably is making a starter salary... Uh, just bought that home and you know how much they paid for it, you might be thinking, maybe I maybe I could stretch myself a little bit more. Maybe I am, you know, maybe I, because I make more money than that person. So it just helps. I think it just helps people make decisions. When you have data, when you have information, it just helps you make decisions better. Better decisions, get, I should say. If we get rid of whatever the stigma is of like, if somebody knows how much I make, they're what? What are they going to do? Come to my house and, and ask me for money? If we get yeah. rid of all of those concepts that uh, this is going to somehow ruin your life and make you a pariah or your friends aren't going to like you or you're not going to be able to, I don't know, uh, go on a date or something because uh, it's pro- broadcast on the Internet. I don't, I don't understand uh, w- what the problem is and why we built it up this way, all this privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably because people have taken advantage of it. 
So if we can figure that out and um, sort of put it out there to make it more, oh, just like, well, what, are, what are there other things that people know about us? That, you know, people know where we work, for example. That's not private, right? Mm -hmm. So no, you know, we broadcast that stuff. So if somebody knows you work somewhere, um, that's not a problem. So and they know where they know where you live and they know what neighborhood you you live in maybe right so that could also tell about your status so there's a lot of things that people do know why not these specifics that could actually help us in the examples you just gave right uh, help normalize or help make you realize that oh maybe I shouldn't go there because that would be too expensive for me right especially in the freelance world I find that because it's such a new it's un uncharted waters, so to speak, or it's a yeah, new it terrain. Is, yeah. It's hard, you know, as me as a freelancer, sometimes I'll get contacted by, you know, I'm doing some work for U of T right now. I'm writing a program for their indigenous law students. Uh, not a program. It's going to be a, like a webinar. Um, that's one thing I'm doing. And then I'm doing something for uh, George Brown College where we're putting together an online program for students coming back um, who um, are sort of facing this new reality of how they're going to manage their money, you know, in COVID-19. And so it's really difficult when they say, well, how much do you charge? It's like, well, like, it's not really traditional work. It's very difficult to figure out, you know, I have some idea of like what my hourly rate is. So I'll take it, you know, that and say, okay, this would take me, 80 hours to do, so that's what I'm going to charge, or it's going to take me three hours to do, that's what I'm going to charge, whatever it is. Um, but all of that, you know, it, it helps if you know what other people, I mean, I'm not saying that everyone should, you know, make a sunshine list kind of situation where everyone's just broadcasting their salaries, but at least in our industry, it'd be, it'd be good to know, especially in times like this where, you know, we're all trying to make ourselves more financially secure, and it'd be good to know that we can all... Um, get our top salary, um, a top top fee for whatever work that we do get at this time. And it would help with uh, issues such as the gender pay gap and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, the diversity pay gap, and mm -hmm. et cetera, all the things that uh, qualifications, if everyone's broadcast, you'd be like, yeah, well, yeah, I'd like to make as much as that person. And then they could maybe talk to you and say, well, that person's been here for 10 years, so mm -hmm. why don't we meet in the middle? There'd at least be an open conversation about, why you might be getting paid less than the other person who's doing the same job as you, as opposed to just finding it out later and thinking, wait a minute, I provide just as much value as that person. What is happening, right? Mm -hmm. So it could help get rid of some systemic stuff too. Yeah, I think, I think I mean, knowledge is power, right? We know that. And um, yeah. usually it's power for the people who don't have power. Uh, by keeping people in the dark, the, those people who are in positions of, you know, already yes. making the big bucks, they're the ones that continue to be powerful because they're not sharing that information. So we not so we don't know what to ask for because we don't even know it's available. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about, mm -hmm. though, is uh, mortgage deferrals. We've talked about this uh, yes. a lot. Uh, how, you know, I've really advocated saying that if you need, if you have a cash flow problem, you should defer your mortgage so that for this time being, at least you can pay your essential bills and buy essential items and do, you know, whatever you need to do to get through this time um, now that the economy is opening back up, maybe you're going back to work, but whatever you needed to do in the last three, four months, you should, you know, consider deferring your mortgage because that's going to free up, in some cases, thousands of dollars a month. Um, now we're hearing about some issues when it comes to credit scores and credit reports. Now, you know, we um, 
we uh, both attended. Were you? Yes, you were there. We both attended a, a talk when we had. Um, we talked about credit scores and credit reports, and that was kind of eye opening for me as well. Uh, how our credit scores and credit reports are affected, and I've always been aware of the fact that a lot of it is. You know, we have to. Um, we have to take some ownership over our credit report, like once a year, ask for it, see what's on it, make any, you know, corrections to it. Uh, But when, exactly, but when these, these mortgage deferrals were announced, um, it, you know, it was supposed to be that there's no note that goes to the credit bureau, that that the, the banks are aware that you are putting your mortgage on hold, not that you're unable to ever pay your mortgage, you're not going to arrears. Uh, But that's not the case. Now we're finding that some like Equifax and TransUnion are getting information that your mortgage is now overdue. And so that, of course, affects your your mortgage, uh, rather your credit score and your credit report, which if you want to go and, you know, get a loan sometime in the near future could really have a a bad effect on your um, on your ability to do so. We rely on Equifax and TransUnion to do what they say that they're going to do. Uh, especially when we're communicating to people who are in proposals and bankruptcies and they ask, how long will this take to clear from my credit report, right? Uh, which is, of course, the most common question. And so we go with whatever they've said. They post on their or websites. Well, we're finding that sometimes they don't do what they say. And in this case, uh, they may have even uh, agreed uh, with the banks. There's a possibility that they even had a conversation that said, yeah, no worries. Of course, we won't report that. Or the bank says, oh, we won't report it. Yeah, because we've a negotiated a mortgage deferral. How is that the same as missing a mortgage payment uh, on, on a regular day? It's not. So, you know, but at the beginning of this, we were wondering, okay, we don't know. We can't tell you how that's going to affect your credit r- report because it's all new. And they're a bit cryptic sometimes, uh, uh, both of the credit bureaus when it comes to... Um, telling us how it's going to show up. So we're now just seeing it and uh, a lot of people are getting upset. Yeah. So Equifax and TransUnion have um, some information on their website on how you can correct uh, if if data has been sent to them that is affecting your credit score or your credit report. Um, Really what it should say according to Equifax is that, you know, if you've deferred your mortgage, there should be comments that it has been deferred. So the word deferred there. Um, that it, it that your mortgage is paid as agreed up to date. So meaning it's not like your your mortgage is overdue. It's just that you've like you said you've signed it, not signed, but you've come into an agreement with the bank that you're not going to pay your mortgage for this amount of time. And and in that agreement, you're also agreeing to pay extra interest on the money that you're going to take longer to pay off, um, and that the past due amount should be zero. Um, yeah. And so or not available. So there, you know, that's the, that's the information that they're giving. So I would highly recommend that if you've deferred your mortgage, you can get your credit report for free. Just ask for the report and go through, see exactly how they have explained why your mortgage is deferred. In some cases, it may not even be there. um, Because really, the only time, the only time uh, Equifax and TransUnion have uh, uh, something on their report that shows uh, something's overdue is when the bank says, this customer is not paying. So they may have, you know, they, uh, they will have information about your mortgage, but they won't have that information about the fact that um, you've put it on hold. Uh, at least it, it doesn't necessarily have to be there. And, and if it is there, it should say that it's a deferred payment and this is why um, you're doing it. So it shouldn't affect your credit score. Uh, but yeah. I think that that is, that is not going to be the case. I think people who have deferred their mortgage are going to have trouble in the next, you know, 
six, 18 months to two years to, to um, renew their mortgages and get new mortgages if, if that they want to, because this is going to have an impact on their, their score. Well, banks are going to have to adjust, right? Or banks are mortgage brokers, right? So when somebody comes in and says, okay, I, I don't want to switch over from whatever other bank I'm in. Um, you know, uh, I want to refinance. I want to uh, uh, go over to you because, uh, you know, you have a great rate. Um, then, of course, they're going to pull the credit reports uh, from whatever bureau they, they choose. And if they see something like this, they're just going to have to have a conversation. Um, if it's not super clear what it is, if, we, if, if, the, if you as an a, a individual weren't able to get TransUnion or Equifax to clearly indicate that this was due to COVID-19 and it was agreed upon, the the banks themselves and the brokers are going to have to un have some understanding. Oh, that was during COVID time. Oh, that was a mortgage referral. You got a piece of paper or an email that says that you agreed to that. Great. Okay, I'm not gonna I'm gonna ignore that. That's the way to get around all of this uh, bureaucracy, all this uh, administrative stuff that might be a nightmare for you to fix because it sometimes is. So it it's it's everybody has to work together going forward. Otherwise, if you're just in a mortgage now and you're going to refinance with the same place or renew with the same place, you don't really have to, you don't need credit for anything, maybe to get your car um, uh, refinance or get another car in the future. It's not as urgent as somebody who might be needing a house. So, uh, you know, it's not th that much of a concern uh, if your credit score goes down, if you don't need it for anything. Always think about what you actually need your, your credit for before uh, worrying about um, you know, why, uh, the, the big impact it has. I think people focus too much on credit score as a measure of their ability to be a human being um, in this world as opposed to it's only just for borrowing money from, from places. Yeah, then you put it so well. Uh, the credit score is not, it's not like it's going to haunt you and it's going to come and ask you to do something just because your credit score is lower. If you've already got your mortgage set up and you're car payment set up and you've figured out, you know, whatever it is that you need to do to get through this time because you've lost your job and you're taking maybe CERB or maybe your hours have been reduced. It's not like it will affect what's, you know, your current financial situation. I still give that advice that if you'd have a cash flow issue, you should try to defer your mortgage. You should pay your property taxes on that later date. You should ask your uh, car insurance company to reduce your premiums because you're not driving as much. Do all of those things. But for the person who is right now deferring their mortgage and then maybe a year down the road if they decide, okay, I'm back at work and now I want to buy a, a bigger home so I need to go and get a mortgage, um, they may look at this time and ask a lot of questions about uh, you know, why you had to defer your mortgage, what happened to your job, um, is your job still secure even though you, know, you were furloughed for a certain amount of time or temporarily laid off for a certain amount of time. Because banks want to know that they're lending to people that they can trust to pay the mortgage payment for the long term. And so not that it should reflect badly because obviously millions of Canadians have lost their job, but it just requires you to now explain yourself, explain why you had to defer your mortgage a year ago if, if, if we're talking in the future um, and explain you know how you're going to uh, pay that extra interest that you incurred. Uh, all of that uh, is just, you know, more difficult. It just makes it more difficult, especially for young people uh, to get a mortgage and maybe have to wait longer to, to buy a home because the bank may not feel comfortable lending to someone who just recently got back into the workforce after being off for maybe six months or a year. Yeah. So just get your story, uh, know your financial story and uh, be ready to tell it. And, and uh, you know, if, 
it, that should be enough to convince someone, especially because these are such uh, weird times when it comes to um, the the way things have been done and, and why we did them. So be able to explain that. Yeah. So, Bo, we have, again, run out of time uh, <laughs> on the Dear Ruby podcast. I just wanted to very quickly tell our listeners that DearRuby.com, D-E-A-R-R-U-B-I.com, is always open, always available for you to leave a comment in audio or email. We will answer it on the podcast uh, the following week. Anything to do with any of the programs that have been announced by the federal government or the provincial or municipal or whatever it is, we will try to find the answers for you. If you're worried about your personal finances, you've got a specific type of question that you need answered. Uh, if we can't answer it, we'll find the experts that can answer it for you. Thank you so much for listening to our, our show today. We apologize about some of the technical difficulties we've been having. We're going to figure that out for next week and uh, make sure that we bring you the best podcast possible on a weekly basis. Both thanks so much for another great uh, episode and I'll talk to you next week. Okay, bye. Bye.